And would you please stand in the honor of the reading of the Word of God, which comes from the book of Nehemiah, by the way, standing in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Let's look at verses 1 through 9 together. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven, and I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, You who keep Your covenant and mercy with those who love You and observe Your commandments, Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my Father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you, and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses." Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Let us pray. Lord, we love You this morning, and we are ever so grateful to come together and worship You in spirit and in truth. We're grateful for the lives that were changed this weekend at Acquire the Fire. Lord, we're grateful that You are always working to change lives, to change our lives. Lord, we pray this morning that Your Word would have Your way in our hearts, God, that we would be changed, that we would be challenged. Father, that we would find direction in Your Word for the battles of life. God, we pray if there be anyone here this morning who needs to be saved, that today would be the day they'd come to know You in the free pardon of sin. Encourage Your saints this morning. Remind us of Your greatness, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been in a stage of life where it just felt like you needed to start over? It felt like everything was so gone and messed up that you just needed a clean slate to leave everything behind and to move on. Have you ever faced a task that seemed almost undoable? Something that was daunting. It just seemed like, why even try? It is so broken. It is so messed up. It is so gone. There's just no purpose in exhausting energy and efforts into trying to fix this thing. This is where Nehemiah was when he looked at the walls of Jerusalem. I believe that there is times and and seasons of life and things that each and every one of us face 
where to some degree we can identify with that feeling. Sometimes it's a marriage. Sometimes it's a career situation. Sometimes it's a, it's, it's a financial decision you're facing. Sometimes it's a relationship with friends. Sometimes it's a relationship with family. Just life in general can be difficult. It can throw us curveballs that we had no idea were coming, that we never anticipated happening. And when, when we read chapter 1 of the book of Nehemiah, I want to give you some background so that you understand what was going on. I'm going to give you approximate time. Approximately 600 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, from the Chaldeans in the land of Mesopotamia, Nebuchadnezzar came in and besieged, just destroyed for the most part, the land of Israel, the city of Jerusalem. He tore down the walls, burned the walls, destroyed everything, and took a bunch of the people captive. Now, when you read, for example, the book of Daniel, Daniel was one of those, and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were those who were taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar did not take everybody captive. There was still a large portion of people who inhabited the land, but their land had been destroyed. Many of their family members had been taken captive. The people that Nebuchadnezzar did take captive for the most part, were what we would call, um, I don't even know the right word for it off the top of my head. It was the, the, the publicans, it was the high tier of society, it was those that had wealth. He took those that had um, skills and brought them back into Babylonian captivity with the intention of using their skills, forcing them through slavery, to use their skills to build his empire. But the average common Joe, the farmer, if you will, just left to deal with the destruction. This went on for about 80 years, the total length of this Babylonian captivity. And during this time, Israel, for the most part, was a reproach to God. These were the people that God had used to lift up His name for thousands of years at this stage in time. These were the people who were the chosen group of people on earth at this stage in time to represent the one true Most High God. And everybody knew it. They had not only had the Jewish people, but the people of the land had seen the conquest of Joshua. They knew the story of the parting of the Red Sea with Moses. They had watched the one true great I Am, Jehovah God, be with these people and, and do mighty feats for them. And so for God's city and God's people to be in ruins, was an absolute tragedy of the day. After about 80 years, something happened that Nebuchadnezzar never would have anticipated. So Nebuchadnezzar 
I'm about done with my history lesson. For those of you that don't like history, just follow me. Nebuchadnezzar goes in and takes over Jerusalem, destroys its walls, destroys its people, and then brings a bunch of them back into captivity. About 80 years later, Nebuchadnezzar gets invaded. And he gets invaded by the Persians. And the Persians win. And so now the Persians take over the Babylonians who happen to have the Jewish people in their captivity. And the king of Persia, he wasn't, quite, he wasn't like Nebuchadnezzar. He really didn't have much of a use for the Jewish people. He didn't really care so much to overlook them and keep them in the same control that Nebuchadnezzar had. And so what happens is Ezra builds a little bit of favor with the king of Persia and says to the king, let me go back and build the temple. The temple's the most sacred place of worship for us Jews, and it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. So the king of Persia says, okay. And so Ezra goes back and builds the temple. And then Ezra comes back to the king of Persia and says, hey, not only do we need the temple, but our worship is more than just a building. We need to restore the true spiritual nature of our people. Let me go back and teach the people the Word of God. King says, okay. He's a pretty favorable king. And so Ezra goes back about 12 years before chapter 1 of Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah were friends. They were contemporaries. They grew up in the same space and time. They knew each other. Well, Ezra, about 12 years before this, he goes back and he basically rebuilds the spiritual heritage of the people. Nehemiah asked the question, not about the temple, not about what's being taught there. He asked the question about Jerusalem as a whole. And he is, he, he's told Jerusalem as a whole is still in ruins. The walls are down. It's just rubble. It's a shameful mess. And Nehemiah can't bear the thought that the city of God, the place on earth that is meant to represent the Creator of heaven and earth, its walls are torn down. It is an absolute disaster. One that would seem overwhelming to any of us. And that's where Nehemiah chapter 1 starts off. That's the context. I mean, it's a mess. And that's why I asked you the question, have you ever been anywhere in your life where it felt like a mess? Felt like the walls were torn down? Felt like the enemy had just come in and destroyed it and it'd be easier just to leave it there and move to another land and just build something all together and leave it behind and pretend it didn't exist? you ever been there? I've been there. A handful of different times and different seasons in life, I have felt that. And what I want you to know as we study Nehemiah is that it takes a calculated plan, it takes a God who has the power to get it done to really move in those areas of life where it feels like it's hopeless. But what I want you to know, the first thing this morning, it's never hopeless. With God, all things are possible. When it seems like it's destroyed and the walls have been laid down and and they've been burned with fire and the enemy can come in and out freely and the enemy surrounds from the north to east, the south and the west and does nothing but mock and ridicule, it is still 
not too late for God to do something great when we learn to do it God's way. And so my question is, what can we learn from Nehemiah? What are the lessons we can take from his life to help us face the difficulties in ours? The first thing that I want us to see is that if you're ever going to see God do a great work in your life, you have to be willing to let God have His way. We see this about Nehemiah. When Nehemiah heard there was a problem, he began to pray that God would find some way, that God would do something about it. One of the things that I've found in my life is that when I pray about a need, most of the time God begins to deal with my heart to do what I can to meet that need. When we're praying for somebody else to do something that we're aware of, and we know there's a need in the church, or we know that this family uh, might have a special need, or we know that there's something going on at work that, that needs addressed, or whatever it might be in our lives, and then we begin to pray about it, and we pray about it earnestly, and we have a real heart to see the thing fixed, you'll find that God, a lot of times, begins to turn the mirror and say, you're the one. The reason you're burdened about this and the reason you're, you're, you, this is on your mind and the reason you're praying about this is because I'm going to use you to meet this need. And so we've, there comes a time when we have to be willing to do the brave thing and say, God, I don't feel equipped. It feels way too big for me to be able to handle this or to be able to do this. I'm not smart enough. I'm not qualified enough. I'm not good enough. I don't have enough skills. This isn't my level of expertise. This isn't what I do. But nonetheless, God, I'm willing to go and I'm willing to do what I can because, God, I know that You're able to do all things and that through You, through Christ, we too can do all things. So you've got to be willing. You've got to be willing to let God use you. We're conditioned to think, and we talked about this last week, which in some ways inspired me to, to do this series on Nehemiah, when we looked at God telling us to use our talents last week. You know, we're conditioned to think that you've got to be a doctorate with three PhDs, you've got to have a doctorate and, and have three PhDs, and that you've got to have all these great skill sets to ever do something good for God. Brothers and sisters, that's just not the case. God used some fishermen to change the world. When God was looking for a king after his own heart, he went to a shepherd boy out in the field that was tending sheep. When God called Moses at the burning bush and, 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 and called him to be the prophet of Israel, Moses was out taking care of sheep. And so God uses ordinary people. Thank God for that. But that means there's a level of responsibility on our part to acknowledge, God, you can use me. Not only can He, He wants to. But you've got to be willing. The next thing I want you to understand about God and about change and about the mountains beginning to move in our life, most of the time it happens in the most ordinary of circumstances. We're always expecting like this great build-up to change. We're always expecting that Something huge and magnificent is going to happen. We're going to have the blowout service, right? And everybody in the entire place is just going to fall in love with God and the, everything's going to catch on fire in this town and the whole world is going to fall in love with Jesus. And we're waiting for something magnificent to happen. But God normally meets us in ordinary days. I want you to think about when Nehemiah woke up on this day. He just woke up. 
normal day. He had no idea that this would be the day his brother would be coming back. Probably he was aware that his brother was visiting the land of Jerusalem. He didn't know his brother was going to be coming back. He didn't know what the report was going to be. Now let me ask you a question. If you're living in this day and time and Nehemiah had been raised up in Babylonian captivity and he had not had much experience looking at the the rubble and, and the destruction of Jerusalem, let's just say you're Nehemiah and your brother's going to check it out. And your brother comes back. Wouldn't you just ask him the question? Hey, what what was it like? I mean, that's just an ordinary, average, everyday question. His brother says, well, it's bad. And there's still a remnant of people there. But they're poor, they're destitute, the walls are torn down. They're just, they're terrible. And Nehemiah never expecting it, never anticipating it, never waking up thinking that day would be the day. This day changed the entire course of his life something birthed in his heart that he said it cannot be. On the day that David was anointed king by Samuel, the prophet of Israel, David woke up, normal day, taking care of his father's sheep, just out passing the time. And somebody comes and says, Hey, David, You need to come to the house quickly. Samuel is there. Samuel? The prophet Samuel. Yeah, Samuel. The prophet of Israel, he's at your house and he wants to see you. And on that day, Samuel took the horn and poured it out on David and anointed him king. Just as I mentioned earlier with Moses, Moses is out doing his normal everyday things and he walks by and he sees a bush that's burning but not consumed. Extraordinary things happen on ordinary days. You never know, you never know when a day could be a life-changing day for you. You never know when an ordinary event could turn into a day or a moment that alters the course of your life. This is important for two reasons to us that are Christians. Number one, it's important because we need to have our eyes open, our hearts open, our minds willing to believe that God can work through the ordinary in extraordinary ways. So I don't always have to have God open up the sky and then thunder from the heavens a voice that's audible for me to understand it, for God to do something miraculous in my life. God does not have to send the clouds and make them in a certain, you know, form them into words and give me a message in the sky. God can do extraordinary things through ordinary days. That's number one. That, that is important for me when I'm trying to hear from God. But the second thing is this. I need to know and be sensitive to the people around me to realize God might use a conversation today. God might use a uh, me in some capacity today to do something extraordinary in somebody else's life. And so Nehemiah was willing. God just finds him on an ordinary day and it becomes a life-changing event for him. He finds out that the walls have been torn down. I want to ask the question this morning, are there walls that have been torn down in our lives? 
The way that walls come down in the lives of the individual is not typically by an enemy coming in and just destroying it all in a day, similar to what happened with Jerusalem. In the life of the believer, our walls come down typically one stone at a time. The enemy comes in and says, oh, this piece in the wall, it's not all that important. And we compromise. And we say, well, I can be a Christian and not do this, or I can be a Christian and do that. And so the enemy takes a stone out of the wall and he throws it to the side. And we still feel pretty secure because the wall's there. And we're not, we know we didn't just totally surrender our faith. And then two months later, the enemy comes in. He says, this stone's not all that important either. Really, do you need this stone in the wall? And we begin to remove one stone at a time. And before we know it, we don't have much structure there to keep us safe. And it doesn't take, but all of a sudden we were unaware and the walls were much more thin than we thought. And, and, and that final stone comes out that was holding everything else out and then it comes down. And so we want to be cautious this morning and we want to look at our own lives and say, you know, let's not talk about America. Let's not have the big talk here this morning about how we're going to bring revival to the American church. Let's, talk, let, let's look inward and ask our own selves, are there areas in my life where I have really let my walls that protect me and keep me safe and keep me in the center of God's will, where I have let them be destroyed or I have let certain bricks be removed, is there anything this morning that I really need to begin to rebuild in my marriage, in my relationship with my children, in my relationship with God, in my, in my work ethic, in, in the way I treat people, in anything in general, is there any area in my life that I really need to start rebuilding? Because here's the truth. The enemy comes, the Bible tells us, to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he wants to do. And he's persistent. We must be on the constant lookout for the walls in our lives that they're not taken apart one stone at a time. So, the situation was grim. I have some great news for you. Nehemiah does not end as grim as it starts. It's a terrific book. It is a book about perseverance. It is a book about realizing that for God to do great things, brothers and sisters, it does take some work. And you're going to need to know that. It takes work. It takes effort. I'm going to tell you the truth up front. It takes work to be a good Christian. It doesn't just happen overnight. There's not some magical explosion that's going to happen in your soul at the altar where the rest of your life you never have to try hard and you never have to fight off the flesh and you just love God all the time. It is a battle. We live in a world that's at war with, with God. We live in a world that is contrary to the truth of the Word of God. And it is a battle. It's always going to be a battle. It takes commitment. It takes effort. It takes a willingness to get back up. And I love what our brother said this morning. That... It is about practicing, but it's not about perfecting. We're working to perfect. I mean, that's the goal. That's what we're moving towards. But the reality is, we're practicing. Thank God for that. Amen? So what is the response? What do we do when tragedy seems to be too much to bear? What do we do when it seems like the task at hand is too difficult? What do we do when we feel like it's hopeless? When we feel like it's been destroyed beyond repair. Well, the first thing, in verse 4, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned. 
I was fasting and praying. And one of the first things that I think that we have to do, I don't want to be negative Nancy this morning, but you've got to be willing to admit when it's messed up. If you can't admit there's a problem, you'll never start moving toward fixing it. And it, it blows my mind that it takes us. I mean, isn't it interesting? It does take us getting to the place where so often the walls are ruined, they're in despair, the enemy's laughing, it's obviously totally destroyed before we get to that place of, okay, maybe there's a problem here. But you've got to come to the place where you acknowledge that there's a need for change in your life. And if you can't acknowledge that, here's what you're going to find out. you also got to be able to acknowledge it to other people. We need help. We need the body of Christ, each and every one of us, me included. We need help to be what God's called us to be. You cannot do it on your own. You try it on your own. You try to do it in secrecy. You're going to fail. The first thing Nehemiah did, though he wept, he mourned. He had a real understanding of the, the, the terribleness of the situation and it broke his heart. There needs to come a time when we're broken for sin in our lives. When we are truly um, upset and, and with the fact that sin has crept in and torn down walls. One of the worst things that you can do when your life is in this situation is throw out canned, false statements. Oh, everything's okay. God's got it under control. We're going to make it. Um, you know, I, I don't understand why we're going through this, but, but this and that and this and that. If there is a mess and it is a result of your sin, there has to come a time when you acknowledge, I'm in this stinking mess because I put myself here. I have sinned against God. That's what he ends up saying. My fathers and I have sinned against God. We've turned our backs on God and we are reaping the consequences of what we've done and we are broken over it. And if you can't admit that, if that's true in your life, you're never going to start moving forward. You're never going to see the mountain moved in your life. So that's the first thing we've got to do. We've got to be honest about sin. We've got to be willing to call it what it is. We've got to be willing to acknowledge a problem before we'll ever start finding a solution to it. He wept. You know what makes people laugh? As we'll see next week with the enemies. And what makes people weep is often an indication of their character. Do you weep? When you see the destruction that sin causes on people's lives. I know some people that that's trivial to them, but if someone loses a basketball game, they're crying. I'm telling you, what you weep over is an indication of your character. And what you laugh at is also an indication of your character. Nehemiah was a man of character. He was a man who was concerned about the glory of God. What else can we learn from Nehemiah? When God puts a burden on your heart, do not try to escape it. When God puts a burden on your heart, don't try to escape it. God put a burden on Nehemiah's heart. And, and when I, we look at the situation, it was dire. 
our fleshly instincts to try to escape the responsibility that goes along with really engaging in, I'm going to fix this marriage. I'm going to fix my relationship with this person or with that person. I'm going to fix this area in my life that continues to, to drive a wedge between me and God. I'm going to, I see a need and there, the need is so great I'm going, to, I'm going to engage in that. It takes responsibility. Brothers and sisters, if God has put a burden on your heart, don't try to escape it. It's the most miserable thing you can do as a Christian is to have God put a burden on your heart and then to try to somehow get away from it and not deal with it because you'll, find, you'll never find satisfaction in anything else. You'll never find purpose in anything else. God places burdens on our hearts for very specific reasons a lot of times, burdens motivate us. They motivate us to do what we wouldn't do otherwise. Not only did he weep, he prayed. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. He prays in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 13. And he prays in those chapters many times, as we will see as we work through. We need to be people of prayer. When we pray... It aligns our heart with God. When we pray, it acknowledges that, God, I need Your help. I can't do this on my own. You're the one with the power. You're the source of all things. You're, you're the only one that can do this great, magnificent thing. You're wise enough. You're strong enough. You've got the provision. God, You can do it all. Too often, what we do is make our plans. Yeah, we figure out on our own how we're going to do it. And then we ask God on the backside to bless our plans. Nehemiah didn't do that. He prayed first. And that's where we've got to start. This morning, if you're facing anything in your life that feels hopeless, pray and believe that God is able to do above and abundantly beyond all that you could ever ask or imagine. And expect God to answer your prayer. Just don't be afraid if God turns the mirror back in your face and says to you, I want to work on you first. I want to deal with you in this situation. And you might not be the only piece in this puzzle, but for now, we want to work on you. Don't be afraid of that. Here's what you'll find when you earnestly pray. And, I don't, and when I say earnestly pray, I mean praying with an honest desire that God, the only thing that really matters is your will. And if I have to change, then I have to change. If I've got to change course, and I've got to change course. If I have to embrace something hard, I will embrace something hard. If you're going to call me to be the one who has to lead this thing, then so be it. But whatever happens, God, I only want to know Your will. When you start praying that way, and you mean it earnestly, and that is all that you truly care about, you'll find God will start giving plans. God will start showing you His plan and His will. God opens up the door. God opens up the door for Nehemiah to come before the king. I think it's interesting that, as we mentioned earlier, God uses 
ordinary circumstances to do extraordinary things. Nehemiah was, uh, he worked for the king. And so, he, he had the opportunity to come before the king on a fairly regular basis. The Bible tells us he came before the king and his face was just like, he was sad. And typically, you're not supposed to be sad in front of the king. You're supposed to act like all is well and everything's great. And it's just such a great blessing to be in front of the king. I mean, how would you imagine you were going to meet President Obama? You would, maybe not the greatest example ever, but just, just, let's just say the President of the United States of America. You probably want to come in looking your best. You want to come in with a respectable look on your face. Respectable body posture, etc. This no different with him coming in front of the king. But he came in front of the king and his spirit was downcast, his face was downcast, and the king said, Nehemiah, what is so wrong? And Nehemiah told him the truth. He said, I heard about the walls of my ancestors. And I heard about the city of God. And forgive me, king. But I can't come in this place and act like all is well in my soul when I am so discouraged about what's going on there. Now here's what I want us to see this morning. The king says, well, what, what, what do you want to do about it? Nehemiah says, I'd like to go back and, and look at maybe building those walls. The king says, how much time is this going to take? And in verse 6, we don't know how much the time was, but in verse 6, Nehemiah gave him a time. I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about it. Remember how messed up it is. Think about, we're not talking about building the walls around a house. We're not talking about building the walls around a castle. We're not talking about building walls around the temple. Walls around the city. And when the king said, give me a time, Nehemiah said, here's how much it will take. And by the way, not only here's how much it will take, I'm going to need some new wood. We can use the stones that were there, but the wood, when they burned it and set it on fire, I'm going to need some wood. And so what I need you to do, king, is I need you to tell your keeper of the forest to give me X amount of wood. That's a pretty solid plan coming from a guy who didn't have any idea if the king was going to ask him a word. This was his opportunity. This was his chance. And he was positioned not to say, well, I haven't thought about it. I've just been really upset and it's been on my mind. I really don't have any idea. It's probably hopeless, but no clue. Can I just go take a look at it and then get back to you? The moment the king said, what can you do about it? He said, I need this much time and I need this much materials. You see, when you really pray about something, God will begin to show you how to get it done when to get it done, where to get it done. Do you have a plan? Is there a need in your life that you really need God to do something great in? Do you have any idea how that might happen? Or are you just hopelessly sitting and hoping that something drops out of the sky and then you've got a plan? 
You see, when we really begin to seek God and ask God for direction, and we have a burdened heart, God will begin to reveal to us how that thing is going to happen. And God did that exact thing with Nehemiah. Nehemiah goes to the ruins. I'm out of time this morning and I'm not even a third of the way through, so I'm not going to try to force myself through this. I'm going to close down with this thought. Nehemiah goes to the ruins. And the Bible tells us that he didn't tell anybody what he was doing. I think there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, he wasn't 100% sure. The ball had started rolling. He had the king's favor. He had wood coming. and But he... He showed up, and it, it tells us this. It tells us that he spent time at night there. And as he was walking around, and here's what I want us to see. I'll go ahead and ask our worship team to come. As he was walking around at night, as he was looking at the broken pieces, pieces that everybody else when they had come, and everybody else when they'd seen it, and everybody else... They just said it's hopeless. We have no idea how many untold thousands of people had looked at the same exact picture that Nehemiah looked at and turned around and walked away and said, that's sad. Not Nehemiah. He's walking around he's saying, you know what, that was sad, but we still have a lot of stones here. I mean, they tore down the walls, but all the stones are right here. When we originally built this thing, we had to haul these stones in. We don't even have to haul them in. They're here. All we need is some wood. And the king's already told me wood. And all of a sudden, he's, got, he's coming up with ideas. He's coming up with plans. And he's seeing what nobody else could see. And I personally think it's significant. I just know it ministered to me when I looked at the fact he had all this vision in the night. In the darkness of night, Nehemiah could see hope that the rest of the world couldn't see in the broad daylight. And it shows you the difference of perspective. They're looking at the same thing. They knew the same stories. Everybody realized the task at hand but in Nehemiah's heart, God had birthed a burden and Nehemiah's faith in God brought him to the place where he remembered. This is not too late. This can be repaired. And if there's anything you get this morning, as we begin to look at the process of repairing the walls, if we begin to look at the process of restoring relationships and the process of rebuilding a life, if there's anything that we get this morning, it's that there's nothing that God cannot do. There is nothing that God cannot do. We've got to be willing to believe God. We've got to be willing to pray and ask God to give us some direction. We've got to be willing to be willing. God, I'll go. Here am I. Send me. Show me what I can do. What's my role? What's my part? I'm going to need some help. And we're going to see that Nehemiah needed a ton of help. Lots of help. The good news is, God's calling you to do something. Understand, Nehemiah didn't have to put one stone at a time all by himself and build it up and get it finished and then people come in. 
there was other people that were part of the plan, but it started with one who was willing to say, God, I will go. People of prayer, people who learn to believe God, they often see in the darkness what nobody else could even see in the light. They see hope. They see that it's not too late. And this morning, I want you to know, no matter what you're facing, no matter what endeavor is in front of you, no matter what you've been through, no matter how torn down the walls are, it's never too late with God. It's not going to be easy. There is no magic trip to the altar that you can just come and say the magic words and then everything's erased and everything's good to go. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some diligence. You're going to need some people to help you get there. You're going to have to have a plan. You're going to have to work the plan. You're going to have to be prepared for enemies to try to come in at every area and stop what you're doing. But understand, with God, all things are possible. It is not too late. God can do what only God can do. Lord, we love You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You, God, that... Lord, You have a desire for Your name to be lifted up. God, You have a desire to be exalted through Your people. God, we pray that we would be a willing people.